Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing. So we're not in the same room and using our professional recording equipment. So the audio might be different than what you're used to, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am so excited about our guest here with me today, Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, she, they pronouns, is an assistant professor of physics and astronomy and core faculty in women's and gender studies at the University of New Hampshire. The author of The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Dark Matter, Space-Time, and Dreams Deferred, she is also a columnist for New Scientists in Physics World. Her research in theoretical physics focuses on cosmology, neutron stars, and dark matter. She also does research in Black feminist science, technology, and society studies. Nature recognized her as one of the 10 people who shaped science in 2020, and Essence Magazine has recognized her as one of 15 Black women who are paving the way in STEM and breaking barriers. A co-founder of Particles for Justice, she received the 2017 LGBT plus Physicist Acknowledgement of Excellence Award for her contributions to improving conditions for marginalized people in physics and the 2021 American Physical Society Edward A. Boucher Award for her contributions to particle cosmology. Chanda, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. And I just realized I started getting winded reading your bio. You are so, you do so much. How do you have time? <laughs> um, I have a really supportive spouse who um, we, we really work as a team. I heard um, Sashi Foster refer to his wife as his collaborator at home. And so I would definitely say my spouse is my collaborator at home. Mm, I love that. I love that. It's almost like a reframing uh, of, of the really, of a relationship. That's so cool. Yes. We're definitely um, political partners for sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so we, we all have multiple coming out stories coming into ourselves stories. Um, and so I would be honored if you would share one of those with us. Yeah, I guess maybe I'll pick gender identity because for me, that's the more, the more recent one. Okay. Um, I, was in graduate school really about over 10, a little over 10 years ago when I was first really being exposed to discourse about trans identities and um, people transitioning. And I, you know, I had kind of had my head in the ground, very focused on like um, graduate school issues and particularly getting my PhD in physics and also black community issues within the physics community, which continues to be like extremely straight. So not even by, by then I, I knew I was queer. I, I was actually um, married to a woman for part of graduate school. So I was familiar with kind of that side of things. And I found myself really struggling a lot with trans discourse because um, I didn't understand 
feeling strongly about, you know, being identified incorrectly. <laughs> like, mm. I just, I didn't get it. Um, it didn't make sense to me. And as, you know, I started to self-educate more, I, I at least understood that this was like something that I had to deal with. Like it wasn't the problem of trans people, but it was clearly something that was happening inside of me. But actually, like, you know, the, the interesting thing about that turned out to be, I really was like, oh, I have all this internalized transphobia. I really need to work on this. I need to unpack it. And then eventually at some point I was like, oh, so actually the issue is that I don't understand having an internal sense of gender. Hmm. And so at some point I asked my spouse, who's um, a cis man, like, you know, do you feel inside like you're a man? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, so inside I do not feel like I'm a woman. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't feel like that that's like a property internal to my, my, like, that's not part of my interior in, in some fundamental sense. And so I realized that actually I didn't understand being cis either. <laughs> like, mm. In some fundamental sense. So for me, that was my coming out as like, oh, I am a gender. That was, that was my story is actually really trying to grapple with like, why was I not empathizing in particular ways? And I guess like the interesting thing to me was that it had not occurred to me to question how cis people felt about themselves on the inside, because that's so normalized Yeah, that we don't think to question, well, like, why do you feel like a man? That's weird. Right? Like nobody says that to a cis man. Mm-hmm. But maybe people should, you know, <laughs> yeah. like if it's going to go in one direction, it should at least go in the other direction or better. Like we should all just assume that like that question is, is always there for all of us. Yeah. I love that. Taking the assumption out of, of it and, 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 and replacing it with the question of there is no like norm or, or normal way to be or default, I guess is maybe a better way. And that, we all should be questioning that because more often I would say, well, at least maybe in, in the world that I've built for myself, more often than not, people aren't cis. <laughs> and so um, it's just a matter of, of that. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, so I, so this was, so this was like a decade ago that you were having these well, I think for me, like it started a decade ago and I think like having this realization was maybe like six years ago, mm, five years mm-hmm. ago, I should actually have a better sense of what the clock is. But I think like being an academic means that you're so focused on your work that you often lose a sense of time associated with your own personal life. Mm. Yeah. Um, so were, did you experience any any kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, so when you, when you realize that you're an agender person, what, what did that feel like for you? And were there any kinds of like conversations you had to have? And if you did, what, how did those go? Yeah. I even feel like answering this question is complicated because like the answer is like, yes and no. Mm -hmm. And that like, literally, I came to it through having conversations with my spouse. So it wasn't particularly like I had to go to him and be like, so I've had this realization. Um, And I think he was actually in some ways more comfortable with it than I was because I think to him, I'm still Chanda Mm -hmm. and that didn't change. Um, and, And so in that sense, like, I think like it was very easy. And I think part of that is because 
the particular experience that I was having with gender wasn't really rooted in what is the structure of my body. And so for me, and I know that this is true for people across like the, the transgender non-conforming spectrum, it wasn't a medical question in the way that it is a very urgent medical question for other people. Um, and then, and that the community is diverse on that front. And so like, I want to be clear that for people for whom it becomes a medical question, it is more complicated because it is no longer a choice um, or conversation that is in your hands to say, I want to do this, but there are a bunch of people who have to sign off on it. And, you know, in a couple of cases, there are good reasons for that. Like you want a doctor to make sure they know what they're doing with like the hormones that they give you. Right. But then there are a couple of cases where it's like complete trash that people have to sign off on it. Like your health insurance company, like it's none of their fucking business. Sorry. I don't know if I should be cussing. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It's, <fine. laughs> it's none of their fucking business. Like insurance companies shouldn't even exist. Let's start there. Yeah. But um, and I, so I think like, you know, it, it's complicated for me, but I'm not sure it's difficult for me in the way that it, it's, it can be difficult for other people. And the way in which it's complicated for me is that I then had to kind of figure out because there isn't really great discourse around what does it mean if you look a certain way, you are gendered a certain way in that like, you know, you can kind of live with that. Um, but that, that doesn't necessarily reflect like your internal experience. So it's kind of like living in this weird gray zone. And I do think, you know, over the, like, like Demi Lovato announced yesterday that they are um, gender non-conforming, that, that they're, and that they're still figuring themselves out. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Demi Lovato is one of the biggest pop stars <laughs> of our time. Yeah. And like 10 years ago, if people have been like, yeah, big pop stars like Sam Smith and Demi Lovato are going to be coming out as gender queer or non-binary or gender non-conforming, like all of and and you know, we're all still figuring out like which of these words is like the word that we should even be using as like a catch term. Um we would have been like, mm, we all would have side-eyed you. I've been like, nah, that's like definitely not in 10 years, 20 maybe, right? And so I think that we're all still figuring it out together. And in some sense, like, you know, Joe Osmondson pointed me to Jose Esteban Munoz's work, which I quote in, in The Disordered Cosmos. And, you know, I talk about this kind of experience in The Disordered Cosmos. And being queer is at the boundary of what is known and what is unknown. And so in some sense, like that is the work that we are doing. And it does require us getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. The important part is that cis people should be on that journey too. And it should not just be trans non-binary people who are uncomfortable with, or being, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, But I think that also means that we have to be patient and generous with ourselves and with each other, that our views on these things are going to change, that we're not always going to use the same words. The words will have different meanings for us. Like explaining to people 20 years younger than me that bisexual means something different now than 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And people being like, no way, it never meant that. How dare you use that definition? And I'm like, you know, when I was your age, people who were 20 years older than me had to talk to me about queer and how that word felt for them. Yeah. Uh, you said a lot of really 
important nuggets that I took <laughs> took notes. Sorry, on. I'm like ranting <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh no, that's no, no, no. It's great. Please don't apologize at all. I love it. Um, I'm just I'm I want to like I want to circle back and um what you were saying about um what you were feeling wasn't rooted in the structure of your body, and that it wasn't a medical question. And I think that there and and all this idea of these barriers and gatekeepers of folks keeping health saving life affirming life saving medical healthcare away from trans people is terrible and they should not fucking exist um yeah. just to reiterate your point <laughs> um i had to fight when I, I had top surgery um in 2016 and at that point in time i had been out as gender queer um for at least three or four years. Um, but I wasn't on hormones and I didn't have, um, I hadn't legally changed my name, but like when I went to get, um, a pr- insurance approval for the surgery, I didn't quote unquote meet the criteria that would have qualified me and like the checklist. And it was infuriating because like, you don't get to tell me what trans is and you don't get to tell me what, um, like what I have to do to qualify for this. Like it just was infuriating to, to go through that process. And I ended up fighting them with the New York state attorney general and we won and they wow. overturned the um, denial, but it was months of painstaking denials. Yeah. And, you know, I had to make the decision of, and at that point in time, I had to claim gender dysphoria, which was a, a, I think, I hope I don't say this wrong. I think it was like a disorder. It's a disorder in the DSM. And so I had to claim that, but I was like, it just felt really complicated. Like I shouldn't have to claim a a disorder to know that like, I need this surgery. Um, Right. And, and uh, sorry, I I, I interrupted you. That's okay. No, (laughs) please go for it. Go for it. I guess like, I was just thinking like, just to add on to your point, um, gender dysphoria I feel like as a term is really complicated because like, what if you don't have a gender? We're still, even within the trans discourse, very much organized around the binary. Yeah. And, and I think like your, your case in some ways exemplifies that, right? Which was like, you're not doing, I'm clinging to the binary, right? Like, okay, we accept that like, you know, air quote, you trans people are sometimes going to get these surgeries and take these hormones, but like a real trans person would want hormones. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that was what was, it was really complicated because at that time I wasn't on hormones. And so that was like a whole, another, like, like strike against me of like, you're not a real trans person. And so it actually, um, took me, I just started hormones last year because it took me that long to kind of undo this idea of like, I wasn't quote unquote trans enough because I wasn't trans in the right way. Quote unquote, all these air quotes, everyone listening of like, um, yeah. <laughs> like I just never thought I didn't even claim the word trans for a really long time. Cause I didn't think that I was be- in a way that like you're saying, like how we clean, we cling to this binary and like, there's one right way to be trans and it's um, a trans man or a trans woman in the binary. And so then, right. So then everything is built around this idea of the binary and right. What if you don't have a gender, but you still experience it. One still experiences a disconnect between their internal sense of self and parts of their body or parts of how they move through the world. It's just, it's, it really is. It's, it's so limiting the, the language that we're using. 
Yeah, even now, you know, I I am still very hesitant about my relationship with the word trans for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, and so, you know, in the book, I settle on referring to myself as an agender woman. And that's generally speaking what I've been doing. I'm, I do still be, feel that the way that my life is lived in a social way is very tied up with the experiences that women have. And I'm, um, that I still identify in some ways with the social aspect of that experience, if not the, um, you know, internal, this is me psychological aspect of the experience. And so, you know, at various points, like coming back to like, am I doing it right? Am I allowed to use this word? Can I claim this term? There is this feeling of like, well, I could go through my life and never tell anyone I was a gender and probably get away with it. Like never tell anyone besides like my spouse or like, you know, people that I'm intimate with and probably get away with it. And so, you know, given the, the kind of simplicity of the, that option being available to me, I'm, and, and the way that we think about transness in the popular imagination, do I fall under that umbrella? And I have like a, and, and, you know, I don't think it's just like, I have a shaky relationship with it, but actually like there was an article recently that I've been like sitting here racking my brain trying to remember who wrote it. Um, that was specifically about, it was by a trans person about what they called the trend of people identifying as non-binary. And even though ultimately at the end of the article, they say like, look, these people, they feel that way, far be it for me to tell them that that's not who they are. Mm. But the fact that like, someone even like got to sit down and write an article and be like, well, are these people even legit? Was I struggled with it because I can also see why people who have gone through this, the kinds of struggles that you have trying to get the things that you need for your physical body are like looking over and being like, well, there wasn't really any struggle for you. But then like, as with many types of ascribed and socially constructed identities, I think we want to be really careful about rooting our identity in struggle. Like mm-hmm. you don't hold this identity unless you have suffered for it. I think we just have to be really careful with that. Um, it's a deeply pessimistic view and it's a deeply pessimistic way of going through the world. And people might say, but yeah, like I'm a pessimist and that's fine for any individual person. Um, but also we are thinking about children and we are dealing with children. And so we have to think about like, what is the context in which we bring children into these identities? And do we want to start with a pessimistic view? Um, Or are we actually, you know, being forward thinking and like, yeah, this is awesome. You get to, you know, there are as many gender identities as there are people, maybe, maybe we don't know. Yeah. And yes, actually you do get to make your own gender. (laughs) That option is available to you. Um, Be wonderful and awesome to people. And that's like actually what I'm concerned about when it comes to like a child's, you know, behavior. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, this idea of, of um, basing identity and struggle is so, um, it's so common. And I, yeah, I love the idea of, flipping it on its head and being like, no, let's celebrate the gender diversity. I, I, in, in 
trainings that I do all the time, I say exactly what you just said is I would, if I had to guess, I'd say there are as many gender identities as there are people. And, and most people are like, no, <laughs> but like, I really do believe that. And um, because almost like to, to rewind back to what you were saying, I don't know if rewind is the right word, but to circle back to is um, the idea of, you know, you, you are using the words agender woman. And that's because of a lot of the way that you part. And, and if I'm, if I'm misquoting or mis uh, paraphrasing, please tell me. Go for it. We will discuss. <laughs> okay. Um, the way parts of ways in which you identify still align with what it is to be a woman in society. And so I think that, that, that is an incredible, um, that's, that's it's incredible because it's showing the diversity on how someone can be. So you can feel one way on the inside and you can also feel another way on the inside and how you interact with the world. And it, that's to me, that's breaking out of that, what we were talking about earlier, earlier of there's only two right ways to be trans it's a trans man or a trans woman. And it's showing that there are infinite ways that one can move through the world and, and who's to say that a non-binary person can't be, ex, you know, feel extremely feminine or a non-binary person can feel extremely masculine or, you know, or whatever it might be. Like I'm a genderqueer person who really leans on the idea of masculinity and started hormones. Right. And, but then there are some things where I like sometimes do like play around with femininity and that doesn't negate any other part of my identity. It just adds to it. And I think it's, I think the way that you're describing, like flipping the struggle on its head is really important and, and being able to, I think for me, I think the more, the more identities and the more ways that we interact with all the different parts of how you can exist in the world to expand the definition of trans, the better. Um, And that's not to like push you into using any words that aren't comfortable for you, but that's just kind of my thought on that. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I think you know, just coming back to like Jose Esteban Munoz, queerness is a discourse. And these are the exact conversations that we we should be having. And rather than seeing it as conclusive, you know, I'll just situate this in like a Jewish context for us, right? That um, we're just continuously reinterpreting, um, you know, this, this language that we have, adding to the language, reinterpreting um, you know, if we think of our bodies as Torah, that we're constantly like reinterpreting that Torah, wow. like what oh. does this part mean? What parts do we keep? What parts do we throw out? I mean, this is like an extremely reconstruction. I'm like clearly revealing myself as a reconstructionist too, because <laughs> I'm like, literally, we could just put the Torah on the body and reconstruct the body. <laughs> but I really, I'm, and so I think that like one of, one of the difficulties that I see right now in the queer community and I mean queer in like very broad terms, is um, that sometimes people want words to be fixed. They want identities to be fixed. They want bisexual to mean whatever bisexual means right now. And that means that it can't mean what it meant to me when I was coming out. When I was coming out, it very clearly meant you're attracted to men and women. Mm-hmm. It did not mean you're attracted to all genders. And, you know, it's funny when people are like, oh my God, how could you ever think that? And I'm like, literally has buy in it. So that's like not a totally like unhinged, like, and it's okay to say, but you know what? The word has grown and let's have that conversation. Like I can have that conversation in my head. 
but I think that we have to be ready to meet each other and say like, well, here are the ins and outs of this take on it. Here are the ins and outs of this take on it. And realize that we're actually putting pieces together, together in real time. Yeah. And that that means that, and, and also that we are individually internally putting pieces together. Like you at one point didn't think that hormones were right for you. And then at some point hormones did feel like they were the right thing for you. Um, and so I think some of it is getting away from our own essentialism, like transness in some sense rejects essentialism, but also we have to continuously reject the essentialism that we then want to like put back into our identities, Yeah. right? Which is that like, actually it's okay if you didn't always feel like there was something, um, you know, the way it's often stereotypically described, I never felt like I belonged or I didn't feel like this was like... Um, like I knew I was never going to marry a man or like whatever your story is, but maybe actually you did for a long time feel great about having sex with men. And then you were like, I'm actually done having sex with cis men, but I'm still good with trans men. Or, you know what? I'm done with anybody who's mask identified or mask leaning, right? Like, um, but actually I think it's okay for us to change. And you know, in some sense, like, I think people feel maybe threatened by that because like so much of like the civil rights organizing that we've done in the queer community has been around, no, we were born this way. Right. And there's something very threatening about saying, well, maybe I changed. (laughs) um, And actually maybe you were born this way, but maybe you were programmed for something to go off when you were 25 and Mm. then for something else to go off when you were 38 right? Like, um, but I think that we have to be very careful about not reproducing hetzis habits. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I don't know, actually, so I remember having this argument with my grandmother, Mm -hmm. um, who has been in partnerships with women my entire life. And so I remember like when I was first coming out, I was very much like, well, I must've been born this way because like, you know, the homophobes keep telling us that this is a lifestyle choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of it is that we're constantly responding to that claim that it's a lifestyle. Right. Um, And it seems like it can feel like the only response to that is like, well, I didn't choose this. And, and I, I want people to unpack like sort of the shame that underpins that, which is like, kind of like, if I did have a choice, I wouldn't have chosen that. Right. And that comes from a particular time. Like, um, uh, there was, uh, that, that great article that I saw recently, um, with, um, Lil Nas X. Um, where he was on some children's show and one of the kids asked him, what does it mean to come out of the closet? Mm. And I was like, wow, there's going to be like a generation one day that like for them, that's something you read about in a history book. Wow. That like, right? Yeah. Right? Like, whereas like I'm old enough that like I lost people to the, the AIDS pandemic um, and helped take care of people as they were dying, right? I'm... Um, And so like my relationship with all of that is like very, very, very different. And so um, I was definitely rooted, like by the time I like myself came out, I was very rooted in like, well, yeah, like this is like, this must be just like how we were made. And my grandmother was like, no, I simply chose it. And I was like, couldn't have just chosen women. She was like, no, I was just like, I'm never being in a partnership with a man again, because like, fuck that. 
<laughs> paraphrasing her yeah. please nobody actually like say well I'm because my grandmother's someone who gets written about in the press so mm. please nobody like <laughs> assign this to her but I'm um, that was like sort of the gist of the conversation that we had I remember at the time being like my grandmother and I have often butted heads and so I was like uh again <laughs> but you know as I've gotten older I started to realize that like the born this way narrative is a trap mm-hmm. or at least potentially a trap. There are some people who were like, yeah, like I was just reading Billy Porter's like a really beautiful essay um, that just came out today, yesterday um, about being HIV positive in his journey. And he refers to himself, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, that he was just like born a giant queen. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe some people are born giant queens and people are born giant kings, right? Um, but I think that there's probably lots of in between. And again, I think like queerness is about like this c- continuous spectrum. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I feel like you much more clearly <laughs> said what I was trying to say. Um, and yeah, I, something that you said earlier too that I wanted to bring back is this idea of comfortable with being uncomfortable and that cis people should be on that journey as well. Um, and this idea of people wanting identity and words to be fixed. And I think there's, there's um, just, it's just, it's when it's, and it sounds like, and sometimes when it doesn't have to do with identity, people are all right with language evolving and they're all right with some kind of like unknowns depending, but like, so like the word emoji, that's just my always go-to, like that didn't exist 20 years ago, but we all, we know what it is now and we use it in everyday language. But when it comes to identity, that's like, okay, that what else is rooted in why we can't seem to make our, like shift our minds to, to give that same sense of like openness and flexibility. And I think people feel threatened and feel threatened by we're like, as queer people, we are, we're knocking down these walls and the barriers that like, that kind of quote unquote, keep structure in society. And that's really unnerving to a lot of people. I, mean, I think it's unnerving to a lot of het cis people, but it's also yeah. unnerving to us. And I think that like, we have to understand that we are part of that equation. I'm not just as resistors, but also sometimes enforcers. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I remember like one of the first like public or semi-public like academic talks I gave on things related to like equity and justice, where I was like known as an out a gender person, that a trans person came up to me after the talk and insisted that I should not be using she, her pronouns um, because like I wasn't showing the right solidarity with the community. Mm. And, you know, there are there's a lot of complicated things, which is like, that person didn't know me. They didn't know where I was on my journey. They didn't know why, like, you know, that could have been like a really sensitive thing for me. Um, And in a a way it was because like, I continue to not, I'm, I think it's, I think things are getting simpler in some ways with pronouns, but it continues to be that pronouns for me are very complicated because I think people take pronouns to be an enunciation of your gender identity. Mm-hmm. And when you're a gender, there is no gender identity to be announced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, them doesn't particularly feel like any more useful on that front for me. 
Mm-hmm. And at least she, her feels familiar for me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in that case, it was a trans person who was like, no, these are the pronouns you have to use. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I, I think, and, and I, and the important thing, right. Is that like when cis people are insisting, um, they're often doing it for like incredibly fucked up, um, transphobic reasons. And so I would never want to say that like they're equivalent. Um, but we are all still responding to the impulse of wanting identities that are fixed and advance um, or a particular story that is similar to us. And the one thing about queerness is that we, again, at the edge of what is known, it is discursive, it is going to change. Um, so I, I just really think that that's something that that we always have to have to keep in mind. And I should also credit, by the way, like I picked up the being comfortable with being uncomfortable thing from a Mennonite church in in relatively small town Canada. Mm. Um, but I have found it to be like a really useful analogy um, or way of thinking about things, not analogy, but way of thinking about things, both for science and for thinking about queerness, because science is also with the boundary of what is known and unknown. And yeah. it is the task of the scientist to be confused and to be okay with being confused and, you know, just to like chip away at it. Wow. Yeah. Um, I just, I, it, it's sticking out to me so much that, um, cause you're not the first person to tell me that about these conversations with trans people, um, you know, approaching people who they don't necessarily know and, and shooting quote unquote all over them of like, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Um, you are trans, you are this, you are that. And I just, I, I would, I don't approach conversations like that. And like, it doesn't seem like a, um, a very productive way of connecting with people or, um, hearing about people's different experiences. Um, and that's really, to me, it feels like, um, almost like, a a way of slowing down, moving the needle and a way of slowing down, um, productive advance advances of, of trans visibility and trans rights of, of telling people what they should and shouldn't be doing, especially not asked I'm I'm guessing you didn't ask for that information you just kind of got it no no it was like <laughs> um and and you know like I, I'm also aware that like in some ways what the person was communicating however they did it was I want to feel like there are more people like me and I mm-hmm. want to feel like I'm not the only one out there using these pronouns yeah um, and I hear that and I want to say like, I hear that. And I do think that's why I was saying, like, I think now it's maybe a little bit easier because like, really there does feel like this acceleration of people who are using they, them and people who feel most comfortable with they, them mm-hmm. as their primary or only set of pronouns. Um, and again, Demi Lovato, right? Like, I, I think that them coming out in the way that they did Every time somebody does that, it saves lives. I'm, I'm completely yeah. convinced of that, that it yep. saves lives. Um, and, and, and so like, I totally hear that, that need. And I think on the other hand, it's important for us to remember that Demi Lovato is still a person and not a symbol that any one individual person who's on their journey, figuring out what their gen- relationship to gender is, is still a person 
and not a symbol to be put out there um, for, for other people's consumption. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, when I look at a situation like that, I would say that it's a het cis habit. Like, I don't think that transness teaches people to be consumptive. I think that's like white supremacist, heterosis capitalism that teaches consumptive. Yeah. To, to treat people like they're there to be consumed as, you know, symbols, products, images. And, and so I, I do, I do hear that aspect of it, but again, I think that like we get into orthodoxies of even this is the way that you make your classroom trans inclusive. You make everyone tell you pronouns, but then actually particularly for, you know, a student who's just figuring themselves out, that can be a really stressful experience. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, maybe there isn't one answer that works for everybody. Like the way that I've been doing it in my classroom as a professor is that I make a really big point on the first day of saying, I may just refer to people as they, unless someone tells me that they have a set of pronouns that it's important to them that I know about and that I take care to use mm. and that people are welcome to email me. Um, and preferably with like, you know, their ID photo or something so that I can practice and make sure that like I match the face with the name and the pronouns. Um, but I've been experimenting with giving people a middle ground, which is that like, if you don't care, it's okay to not care. If you do care, it's okay to care. And, and we have to make room for, both of those experiences. That's incredible. I've never heard of that, um, that particular method before. What I, in the work that I do, we, we, we encourage folks to, you know, share their pronouns at the beginning, always as an invitation, never as a, you have to, like a requirement. Um, so how does that, how does that usually land with your students? That You know, I have so far only taught like small classes. And so um, it's fairly intimate. And in, in terms of like the physical setting and um, I know I've had queer students who like, you can see on their faces where they're like really excited <laughs> that like, I'm even talking about it because like I go through the entire syllabus. I make sure we, we talk about that. It's also, you know, written in the syllabus. Um, although like, I have to say, I'm joining the ranks of professors who are like ready to give like a grade to people that are a quiz that shows they've read the syllabus. Mm. I just like these <laughs> students, if you want to do one thing to make your professor happy, actually read the whole syllabus. Yeah. Take we worked so hard all summer on it. Um, I actually haven't had anybody email me and say like, I need you to use these pronouns or this would be best for me. Um, it is also the case that at UNH, at University of New Hampshire, we now have the system set up so that the students can put their pronouns into Canvas. Hmm. Um, we have also made it and, and preferred names. And so that work has been done um, in part because um, my, my colleague in the physics department, Elena Long, who is a nuclear experimentalist, um, she's awesome. She's one of the founders of LGBT plus physicists um, and, and a trans woman herself. Um, has worked really hard with, with other queer folks at the university to, to push these changes through. Um, so I don't want to just say like UNH just did it. <laughs> yeah. 
I want to be clear about that. But we do have these mechanisms, which I do think simplify things a little bit because it becomes less, maybe part of what I want to say is that we tend to individualize, um, you know, how do we handle this instead of creating institutional structures where the information can be made available without forcing people to enunciate themselves one way or another. Yeah. And that doesn't work in every setting. Like if you're just like at like, um, you know, I'm meeting for Jewish Voices for Peace or something, and this is your first time, um, you know, there isn't a Canvas system where you can like go and read people's pronouns. And, and so then the question is, is like in that environment, what what's the best way? And I don't actually think there's a simple answer. Mm-hmm. So just like to bring it back to why I brought this up, um, it's easy to say that there's a simple answer of like, everybody should just say their pronouns, but I, I want people to understand that actually that can be an uncomfortable experience for people who are not cis or who are not like, as I like to say, cis, cis, like maybe I'm cis, cis sex female. I don't know. That word's always changing. Um, but I'm definitely not cisgender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's that's part of in, in my teaching is telling folks like, I wish I could just give you the like ni- the nicely wrapped up bow on top answer, but the, there isn't one because it, it changes. And, um, you know, what might feel really good to one person might not feel great to another person. When I came out as genderqueer, I had people ask me what pronouns do you want me to use for you? And I so was not ready to have that conversation. Yeah. And I just was like, please just keep using she, her and like hated it. But also it came from such a good place of people wanting to respect my identity. And it also was like very uncomfortable for me. So really trying to find that balance of making space for folks while also not pressuring people. Yeah, I think, right. And that's exactly, I think, you know, you exemplify the student that I'm thinking about, which is like, what if I do have someone in my classroom who's questioning and I have now made it a thing that they associate with my class that they had to make a choice, that they actually had to tell me something. Um, and now in my classroom, they're thinking about that a little bit and not thinking about stellar astrophysics. Yeah. And since my, my class, you know, the first class I ever taught where I, I did this and actually the class I'll be teaching this fall is stellar astrophysics. Part of my task is to make the room where um, people can focus on stellar astrophysics, mm-hmm. regardless of their identity where their identity doesn't feel like I have turned it into a barrier to them studying stellar astrophysics. Hear that every single institutional leader of every organization in the world. <laughs> exactly. That's the whole, that's the, that's the, the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's everything. <laughs> that's the whole thing. That's my role as an educator is to teach them the material. And if I am doing things that get in the way of them learning the material, then I don't fuck that. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, I'm just looking at my clock and time has flown and I want to be respectful to your schedule. But I, I mean, maybe in some point we can have a part two where we can actually talk about your book that I loved reading. Yeah. And- <laughs> well, we just talked about, I don't what chapter number is that? We just spent a lot of time talking about chapter nine, the anti-patriarchy agender. So let's just say that, okay. that was, um, you know, I talk about some of these issues in the, in the book. And I guess like the one thing that we didn't really get into is how all of this becomes racialized as well. And mm-hmm. so I try and, and touch on that in the chapter um, and also touch on, even though, you know, I just had this whole conversation about like, you know, don't force people to tell their pronouns, that the chapter is sort of, it opens with, but you guys like are okay with quantum mechanics, but you can't just 
you know, refer to this person as they and them, like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, t- it's a total, what's like, wrong with you? Like you have no home training as we would say in the black community. <laughs> um, I, I pulled out a quote that was like, to tell students that is too difficult is an egregious brazen lie, um, which is I, just such a direct and like, yeah, it's a lie. It's not too hard. And like, if you're, if, if you're a, if, you know, I was at a doctor's appointment and he, the doctor, I told him my pronouns. He's like, I'm going to try my best, you know, but I don't know. And I was like, you have an MD, you have an MD. You went through years and years and years and years of really, you know, grueling studies. I'm sure hopefully, cause you're my doctor. Like, I think switching pronouns should not be that hard. It just, it's not, it's just not that hard. And so, yeah. You know, the one thing that I think about in this context and that I do want to acknowledge is because we are not socialized to learn name and pronouns. Mm-hmm. I get that, that it is actually something that requires work and that we will sometimes make mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but I think that the, the, the direction of those mistakes might shift if, um, we were assuming that everybody's pronouns are like up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I think that people need to ask themselves, am I having difficulty because I'm also bad with names mm-hmm. or am I having difficulty because I'm an asshole? <laughs> 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 exactly. <laughs> and there's no middle ground. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just kidding, everybody. Um, sort of. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to move us. I mean, I don't want to, but I, I must for time's sake, move us into our last section or our, the last section, which is um, the lightning round of questions. It's just meant for fun. Um, and it's different than, than previous seasons because they were all, I was told my questions were too binary. So these are non-binary questions, <laughs> um, open-ended responses. Um, so if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? I mean, this is a really hard Star Trek. I think I would name the crayon Star Trek. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite time of day? When it's quiet. Mm. Ooh, I love that. Uh, favorite current queer media representation? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Wilson Cruz as Dr. Colbert on Star Trek Discovery. Awesome. A song that makes your heart soar? Um, pretty much anything by Rihanna. <laughs> nice. Favorite way to travel when it's safe? I like trains. Favorite quote? So I actually, next to my desk, have Toni Morrison's The Function of Freedom is to Free Someone Else. I don't know if it's my favorite quote, but it's definitely up there. Nice. And then there's one one binary question I couldn't get rid of. Uh, Bagels or donuts? Bagels, obviously. Great. <laughs> like, <laughs> people say donuts and they're wrong. <laughs> Those people are clearly Gentiles, right? Like I can't imagine being a Jew and saying donut. Yeah. I think there were some people who were 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> you're going to get complaints now. You're going to be like, I can't believe she's so essentializing about Jews and bagels. <laughs> you know, you're actually the, you're the second person who, who like went <laughs> off on like the, like relating Jewishness to bagels and it's a stereotype and it's, I like, I like to lean into it and it is what it is. <laughs> I will say my spouse, who was also a, a, a Jew of color, um, particularly enjoys the maple bacon donuts at mm. Union Square Donuts in Somerville, Massachusetts. Mm. So, Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I eat bacon whenever I can. No offense, bacon people who don't like eating bacon. I love bacon. It's pretty much the only pork that I eat is bacon. <laughs> oh, me too, for sure. Um, this conversation was so lovely, Chanda. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Yeah, thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Hey everyone, it's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at thank you for coming out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story either anonymously or with your name. And you could have the chance to hear your story read out on the thank you for coming out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.